Summer of Soul is both a tribute to the artists and just as importantly, their audience, which is what makes it not just a great concert film, but a great documentary, period. That is so well said by David Fear, film critic for the Rolling Stone, talking about Summer of Soul, or when the revolution could not be televised. Our featured film this week, as far as the new movies are concerned, I'm diving into documentaries. Now that the Oscar nominations are out, I want to see everything that's been nominated, and uh, I've got to work through these documentaries. I've, of course, seen Flea, which is a triple nominee, but I was reading all the, you know, kind of advanced hype and uh, some of the prognostications on Gold Derby. Summer of Soul, the favorite to win Best Documentary. So, okay, let me watch that. We're reviewing it today. By the way, next week, Stanley Nelson, who is the Peabody and Emmy Award-winning filmmaker of Attica. I just watched that documentary, which is available right now for free on YouTube. So we're talking to Stanley Nelson next week. But our new is Summer of Soul. Our old, because we just talked to Tim Roth. The other day I checked, Reservoir Dogs was on. To me, that was the first Tim Roth film that I saw. I was 14 years old. I loved it. Became a Tarantino fan. We're talking about Reservoir Dogs Day. I watched it again, 30th anniversary of that iconic Quentin Tarantino film. And our special guest today, it's Edward James Olmos, but let me tell you a little bit of the story behind it. So, Cody is at the Super Bowl, and he's about to tell us some Super Bowl stories. Although he's not actually at the game, I should rephrase. It's a classic sports media <laughs> thing. You go there, you're covering the Super Bowl, but you don't actually stay for the game. You leave nah. Saturday night, Sunday morning. <laughs> Chris left on Saturday. I was not surprised by that whatsoever. Uh, you don't have a credential. you got to get back and work Monday morning. There's, there's all sorts of reasons why you don't actually end up staying. I'm not going to watch the Super Bowl from a media room in the in the, like if I'm going to go to the stadium I need to be able to watch the game actually almost any other sport is better in person baseball hockey basketball but football is better on TV so rather than you yeah. having a terrible vantage point at a game and I'm like oh, I don't really know what's happening oh I'll just watch it on my giant or maybe not a giant small whatever whatever flat screen TV the Cody's yeah. have you'll be back home with your family locked in so I knew you were not gonna be there yeah. for the game anyways he's there at the Super Bowl and Chris has said to me listen if you want we're gonna try to get some guests again yeah, no problem so last week we do the show, which, by the way, I love the sensationalized headline. Why Adney fired his driver. Will Holger, <laughs> one of my, my buddies, holy, what, what happened here? He's like, honestly, I wasn't going to listen. I saw the headline. I'm listening to this podcast. So I expect That's how we do it. I expect downloads <laughs> to be through the roof after that headline alone. And what was, I believe, a very good episode. So Chris texts me, Edward, dude, would you want Edward James Olmos? I'm like, yeah, dude, that guy's awesome. I'm like, American yeah. Me, Selena, Stand and Deliver? Sure. So we're taping, and he texts me minutes before. <laughs> and he says, Emilio Rivera also joining. <laughs> With respect to Emilio Rivera, who you're going to hear momentarily, I said, who is that? And Chris wrote back, Sons of Anarchy. I said, okay, so quick Google search. <laughs> and this will make more sense when you hear the interview, because I'm clearly prepared for Edward James almost. And instead, I'm also getting a side helping of Emilio Rivera. And as Chris knows, I like to take my work seriously. I'm very prepared yes. at interviews. If you listen to this interview, you're going to go, clearly Adnan does not know anything about Minds MC. Clearly he does not watch Sons of Anarchy. That would be a yes to both of those. But Emilio's a wonderful guy, and Edward James almost was great. And I did get to get a stand and deliver question there. But you learned a lesson here. But a little hard, a hard and fast one here. Right? Here's one guy. Here's another guy while we're at it. You know, I'm new to this game of being a radio rogue. Handlers are uh, wheeling and dealing. And, uh, you know, in his cell of, would you like, Edward on, he slid in, like, he didn't even no mention of the other guy until they showed up, and it's just like, all right, they're both here, and I'm like, they're both, and I'm panicking, texting Adnan, just so you know, there's nothing, but you are a pro's pro, no, I, I mean, you gave that setup, but if if you hadn't said anything, no one would have known the difference, you are so good at this, Adnan, but uh, I, appreciate I actually enjoy 
it, for how random and how it kind of fell out of the sky this interview was, I actually thought you guys had a really fun off conversation. You guys talked some Dodgers. Yes. I mean, it's not just like stiff. What are you guys promoting? It's you had some fun with them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like I said, if I'd known, I would have binge watched a little Minds MC, but it's all good. <laughs> I literally got through, and those guys were great. Uh, I want to get some Super Bowl stories though out of you. Just the week itself, you've posted a bunch. Of course, if you listen to the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts, no. you can see the videos. The Instagram has been hysterical. The stuff you guys have been posting. But tell me about the experience overall. We got the Comedy Club story last week. David Spade, Ugh. a leg sitter. Yeah, David Spade. If it wasn't that, it was dinner with Jorge Sedano, where I'm a couple tables over from Peter King. Dan Graziano's over here. We go to a bar after. Ryan Rossillo, PFT, uh, Clay Travis. We're like, okay, it's fun to get out of here. Clay Travis is here. But, uh, you know, and then the next night, drinks with Mike Schur. Oh, Went nice. to the media party at Universal Studios. Where like it was free drinks, got to ride rides for three hours at Universal Studios. But uh, honestly, we were working so hard that I don't have any good stories as far as partying. It was more just like casual dinners and drinks with friends. But it's my element out there. Dan likes to call Radio Row sad. That's my element. It, I was just I was loving life out there. A bunch of ass cracks, a bunch of guys just at six a.m. just like, what do you mean the Rams aren't going to win the Super Bowl? Right. Yeah, I was just in my element. Bunch of plumber butts debating the merits of oh. is Aaron Donald the greatest defensive player oh. you've ever seen? Joe Theismann sitting at at a table in a suit at seven a.m. across like from some guy who smells like nachos. It's just it's my element, Adnan, and I just want to go back every year. I, I like what you're describing. I, I would like it even better if it was in Vegas because in Vegas yeah. you combine the sadness and the melancholy of the plumber butts along with cigarette butts and like you know beat yeah. up hookers and like it's just yeah. Then you, then you're really you're really feeling the life. You mentioned <laughs> Mike Schur. I texted you the other day. I read the Hollywood Reporter every week. Thanks to Kathy Leogrand. She sends me uh, a free subscription. Mike Schur, the comedy showrunner in the New York Times, expressing concern that his new book on morality, How to Be Perfect, Mike might draw criticism from philosophy experts. The quote from Mike is, my greatest fear right now is that someone is going to read it and out loud alone in his or her office say the words, you fool. I did not know Mike has this book coming out. Is this book out yet? I, upset, have the book, bought it, wasn't sent it for free. I'm like halfway through it. It's basically, he's trying to dumb down philosophy for people. Wow. You know, he's telling me the difference between pleasure and happiness. I don't need to know some of these things. I'm reading it and I'm like, why is he making me think? I'm I'm just going through life. I eat this Big Mac. Big Mac. Yeah. If something just brings you pleasure, it's not good for you. But if it if it's good for you, it brings you happiness. So like, I'd rather I, like a, a Big Mac brings me pleasure. Yes. But it doesn't make me happy. I don't need this. I don't want this dissection going on. Let me eat my Big Mac. Let me feel like I'm happy about it. And it's just I I find myself yelling at Mike Sure, like, why are you teaching me about things? Why are you making me learn? But but it's not a straight up comedy. Then it's actually a philosophical book. Well, it's, you know, it, there is some comedy in it. You can tell he's a comedy writer, but it is more just, hey, can we be better? Here's here's a book. It's basically just trying to teach people. Can we could, like, I, I get it. You can't change the world by yourself, but if we all do a little bit, mm. we can make this a better play. That, that, I, I would say from what I've read so far, that's his overall thesis of like, we can make, we can do something here if we all just actually be better. Yeah. Listen, we're here in Cinefile. Love our book review. So I like the fact I didn't have to do one. Chris Cody offering a book review. Yeah. Friend of the Metal Arc family and Mike Sure. You guys had drinks together, talking philosophy. That's great stuff. Yeah. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll check out this book now. I love the fact you bought it and didn't get it for free. I mean, I did. You know, I was like, I was like, you know what? He sold me. I, I want to be a better person. And then, I, like, two chapters in, I'm like, maybe I don't want to be a better person. <laughs> Difference between pleasure and happiness. Don't care. Just want to still eat Big Macs. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll talk to Mike, I'm sure, at some point here on Cinefile yeah. or perhaps in the Love Chart Show about his book. But uh, let's dive into some movies, shall we? We First up, Summer of Soul. This is from Quest Love. That's right, Quest Love. You all know him and love him. The Roots, 
uh, great job on Fallon, presenting a powerful documentary he directed about an event in the summer of 1969 that celebrated black history, culture, and fashion. Of course, it is Black History Month, so I figured this would be a topical time to discuss Summer of Soul, and also the fact, as I mentioned off the top, it is nominated for a documentary, Best for... Uh, Best Academy Award, Best Documentary, and it's a favorite to win right now. I didn't know anything about this Summer of Soul. Here's what it is. Not far from Woodstock, New York, Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight, and the Pips. Not just Gladys Knight, you get the Pips too. Mahalia <laughs> Jackson and B.B. King took to the stage in a transformative experience. I remember hearing about this movie because it was the winner of the Best Documentary Critics' Choice Award, as well as the Grand Jury Prize and Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival. People loved it, and I can see why, not having seen the film myself. I saw it on Hulu. Uh, if you have Hulu, you can watch it there. Otherwise, I believe it's available for purchase right now at a small fee. But it's an excellent movie, and I give love to Quest Love, who's a, a you know, debut here as a filmmaker. He's obviously a noted musician, but it's a powerful documentary. Uh, to me, it's a very important documentary because you don't know anything about this. Like the fact that Woodstock, everyone knows Woodstock. Everyone's got a story about Woodstock, but you know, you're literally a hundred miles south of Woodstock, and this took place over six weeks in the summer of '69. I've never heard of this. Not that I'm a musical savant, but you would have thought I would have heard about this documentary featuring all these great black artists. But the Harlem Cultural Festival, filmed in Mount Morris Park, which is now called Marcus Garvey Park, you have this incredible festival take place, right? Black history, culture, and fashion, and then it's gone. And, and it's never been discussed, it's never been found, and somehow, some way, Summer of Soul came to be. They found this footage, and now you can go back and really appreciate that music, how great it was. And, and the movie works on a couple of levels. One, it's just fantastic music, wall-to-wall -wall soundtrack. I mean, Stevie Wonder, who, who doesn't want to listen to some Stevie Wonder right now? I mean, the music is so powerful. Uh, I'm a huge fan of The Temptations. The fact they had Bruce Ruffin there, who was uh, the lead singer of The Temptations, this was shortly after he'd split from the group. But he does this incredible version of My Girl. I mean, the, the, the high notes he's hitting, it's like Whitney Houston times Mariah Carey. It's incredible how talented Bruce Ruffin is. So you can watch this documentary just if you like music of that era and enjoy the movie. But you can also appreciate it because you're like, this was a really important time in our nation's history. And again, it's Black History Month. It's a time to appreciate black artists, whether in film, whether in television, whether in music. And Summer of Soul is able to do that and to show how it was a really tumultuous time in American history, 1969, and how music in many ways can be the healing tonic for us all. This is, is this a record? 99% tomato meter, 98 audience score. Well, like, that's pretty those, I mean, uh, yeah. Paddington 2 for a while was 100%. You can do a quick Google search right now. I believe it's now done at 99, but that's where I remember the headlines. Some asshole two. just had to be like, oh, it's me. Right. Because the like headlines the one were... hall, It's like the one Hall of Fame voter not voting for like right. Derek Jeter. Right. Yeah, exactly. Rivera got in 100%. One guy doesn't vote for Jeter. I'm like, okay, thanks. You're that guy. Paddington 2, the headline was a year or two ago. It was like the most acclaimed film of all time. It was, I think the headline was Paddington 2 ahead of Citizen Kane because it was 100% Rotten Tomatoes, but then somebody knocked it down. But you're right. Normally what happens with Rotten Tomatoes is you might get a rave critical review, but then the audience score isn't as high. To get 99 and 98 for Summer of Soul, that Ooh. tells you all you need to know. That The fact sells itself. So I would recommend it. I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs. I really enjoyed this documentary. I encourage people to check it out. I totally get why the fact that it's going to be the favorite to win the best documentary. And as I said, it's important, but it's also relevant, and it's also entertaining. That should be all the three things that we want good movies to do. How, are you a big concert guy in general, Cody? Like, How many concerts do you, do you like? Live music festivals and such? I would not call myself a, like a music snob like Mike Ryan who yeah. goes to festivals and knows every act, mm -hmm. but a, just a, ran, a random concert of some act that I like. I'm a big concert goer if like, you know, but not my music. I wouldn't say I'm a music festival guy. I'm a big concert goer for the acts that I like. Right. So if That's like Coachella's happening, I'm like, oh, Cody's going to be all over that. But 
if uh, Blink-182 is playing, like, oh, dude, I love Blink-182. Like, Cody might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, Coachella in particular, I might check that out just because of the vibe. But I'm not a, a music festival guy. Like, Mike Ryan's annoying. He can, like, name, like, the 15th row of this music, like, the very small groups at the bottom. Like, he knows those groups. Yeah. Like, get over yourself. That's not me. Yeah, he's a real snob for that kind of stuff. That, that and soccer. <laughs> he really hits yeah. the sort of soccer and music. You know, Mike Ryan is all over. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Reservoir Dogs before we get to our guests today. Uh, I wanted to, like, I, 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 I intended on watching this movie. I, it's like the only, it's one of the few uh, Quentin Tarantino films that I haven't seen. And when you said we were doing it, I'm like, I'm watching it this week. And then, you know, life happened. I know this, this, well, hang on, let me read a couple of blurbs here on Summer of Soul. I forgot right. to mention Charlotte O'Sullivan, The London Evening Standard, the documentary of the decade, and Campbell Campbell of Hyper Allergic. Despite being a first feature, Summer of Soul concisely balances performance, interview, and history in its own rhythmic fashion. Okay, now I get back to berating you. You haven't seen Reservoir Dogs? It's been 30 years. You never at the time get around to like, hey, Tarantino, no? Just not interested. It's one of the ones that's fallen through the cracks. Like, I've said it for years now that I need to watch this movie. And then when you said it, I was like, I'm going to watch it last night. And then I just, you know, putting kids to bed, putting a four-year-old to bed, dude, it wipes me out. Yeah. It like I go to upstairs. I'm like, I'm feeling fine, not that tired. I lay down. Like, I, I start reading her. It's dark in there. Next thing I know, I leave that room like 40 minutes later. Sometimes it takes my daughter a while to fall asleep. And I'm just zapped. It just it, it uh, and I know that's just an excuse. No, no, no. I, I can relate to this because you're right about this. There's nothing worse than the feeling of you know you go about your day, you work hard, you're getting stuff done, you're at home. Of course, you love your daughter, you're spending time with her. I love yeah. my boys. Okay, hey, eight thirty. What, what time are you putting her to bed? Because this this makes things interesting. Well, eight, we went to dinner last night. We went like we went to Valentine's Day dinner. This is we're recording this Tuesday. Last night we went to dinner, so it was a little later actually. It was like eight forty-five. Usually we get her to try to get her bed eight fifteen. Yeah. 8.30, but this was like, I think at 8.50, I was like walking her up. So it was... but, but you're, I'm right there with you, because when my kids were that age, and my youngest is three, like between 8 and 8.30 is what you would like to do. Sometimes it goes a little later. The challenge yeah. of multiple kids, 13, 10, 5, and 3, nobody <laughs> wants to go to bed till the eldest goes to bed. And Yusuf's 13, yeah. he's like, I'm not going to bed at 8, 8.30. Like, yeah. He wants to go to bed at like 9.30. And actually, he wants yeah. to go to bed at 10. I let it go to 9.30. So basically, all four are going to bed around 9-ish. And to your point, okay, three-year-old, I get down around, if he naps, no, he doesn't nap. 8.15-ish, yeah. but now 5, 10, and 13, are, are they're doing it together. It's unanimous. Ugh. So it's between 9, 9.15, 9.30. That's a half an hour process. And by 9.30, people go, when do you watch your movies? They go, generally, I watch them between 10 and midnight. But to your yeah. point, if that 9.30 starts to push a little bit, you're like, oh, my Ugh. God, I'm in trouble. It's, and it just and then the work you're doing to put them down, like, you know, like you know me, I, I pull it all out. I tell bedtime stories. I'm doing a little stuff. singing. You're doing I'm doing a little singing. It's just, I'm doing a stand-up set. It's just I drain, and sometimes I end up just falling asleep on the floor. It's like it's bad sometimes. My wife's texting me like, "Did you fall asleep up there?" It's it's hard out here. It's frustrating those times where you're like, "God, I'm so tired, I'm going to bed." But I will say, sometimes it's kind of invigorating. You're like, I, "I'm just so tired, I'm going to bed." Because you will wake if you go to bed at like nine thirty at night or ten o'clock, because yeah. you're so wiped from the day, just pissed, you couldn't get anything done. When you wake up at seven though, you're shot out of a cannon because now you're looking yeah. at nine solid hours. Yes. Now you're ready to tackle it, the world. And now uh, you're ready to watch Reservoir Dogs, which I'm sure Chris Cody <laughs> will do at some point. I'll give you my review next week. Yeah, I'll talk about it. You give your review next week. <laughs> when a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. Sounds like a very simple premise, but it, this movie was, speaking of being shot out of a cannon, everyone in 1992 was talking about, have you seen the new Quentin Tarantino film? Who is this Quentin Tarantino guy? Everyone was abuzz, whether it was Sundance or your local independent film theater or just Hollywood itself. Tarantino, it very quickly became a verb. His last name became Tarantinian. That's the type of dialogue that he writes. And 
especially Reservoir Dogs announced him on the map. Pulp Fiction took him to a different level because he was nominated for seven Academy Awards. He wins an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. But Reservoir Dogs was the beginning, and you have to go back to the beginning, I think, to appreciate him as an artist, particularly the first 10 minutes. It's amazing. It's literally just a bunch of criminals sitting around a table, and Tarantino himself is giving this elaborate monologue about what Madonna's Like a Virgin is really all about. And he says, you know, this woman is just a whore. He's like, you know, dick, 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 dick. How many dicks is that? A lot. He's like, so like a virgin, he's like, she feels it. You know, it's like she's getting fucked like a virgin. This is how he starts the movie. This is his first film, and you've got six criminals around the table, and he's leading himself, the director, who is in the movie, Quentin Tarantino, talking about like a virgin. That's a pretty risky way, I would say, to start a movie for the first five minutes. And yet, it completely brings you into these characters, and the dialogue has a real authenticity to it, and a rhythm to it, and a humor to it. And then, of course, everyone says to throw in a buck, as Lawrence Bender gets up, and Steve Buscemi, in which he'll be known for forever, as Mr. Pink says, I don't tip. And they go, what do you mean you don't tip? He's like, I don't believe it. What do you mean you don't believe in it? And he goes into this whole rationale and logic. So I remember just watching when I was 14. I started working at McDonald's a year later, and that's one of his rules. He goes, hey, you don't tip at McDonald's. He goes, they're working in the service industry. What are you going to tip them for? And he's like, I don't tip because society deems you have to tip. I tip if it's worth it. And Eddie Bunker, I believe, is a character <laughs> who says, what, what's worth it? She take you back and suck your dick? And Sean Penn's brother, Jeez. Chris Penn, gives a great delivery. He goes, I'd go over 10% for that. <laughs> <laughs> And now Arby Keitel, who's the veteran, he gets mad at Pashimi. He goes, what do you mean no tip? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, he's like, those women are busting their ass. He's like, waitressing is the number one occupation for uneducated females in this country. It's the number one job you can get. And that, they're surviving on your tips. And Pashimi's like, yeah, fuck all that. And they're like, what? He's like, hey, it's not my fault society screwed up. I'm not going to tip because I have to tip. Eventually, Lord Spender forces him to tip. But for years, Steve Buscemi was known as the guy. Oh, that's the guy who wouldn't tip. That's the guy, Mr. Pink from Reservoir Dogs. And, of course, his career became something else once he was in Fargo, directed Trees Lounge and all the rest of it. But it's fun to go back 30 years later. And when Chris first watches the movie, that opening scene in particular still stands yeah. out as a real signal and a real awareness this is a movie different. Now, I mentioned Tim Roth, who we recently had here in Cinephile. Boom, you go from that opening scene to then Tim Roth. He's bleeding. Ah, Larry, Larry. He's bleeding. He's got wounds in the back. And Harvey Kettel is driving him. Clearly, this heist that they've been planning has gone horribly awry. Prior to that, you have that great slow motion sequence. All of them were in the white shirt. Skinny black tie, black suit, that's become a very iconic image. And the movie Swingers, which I love, they paid homage to that. All the characters, John Favreau, Vince Vaughn, walking in slow motion. Uh, but then the movie picks up the pace. Keitel is driving, Tim Roth is bleeding, what has happened, and the story unfolds backwards as you try to determine what exactly happened in this heist. And, and really, all the performances are so singularly brilliant. Harvey Keitel has the distinction of being a guy who has worked with some of the greatest directors of all time in their first movies. He was in Martin Scorsese's first film, Who's That Knocking on My Door, and in the first film, which really signaled Marty's you know, breakthrough with Mean Streets. And now here he is in Quentin Tarantino's first film in 1992, and he really is the, the moral center of the movie. Yes, he's a criminal. Yes, he's tough and violent, but he also has a heart. He also has compassion, as evidenced by his relationship with Tim Roth's character, Mr. Orange. Who again, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it 30 years later, and when Chris watches it in the next <laughs> who week. Who would not? Who, what kind of idiot would be like that? One of them is an agent, and that is my man Tim Roth. The movie reveals halfway through that he, in fact, is a cop, and that's why the heist has gone awry, because he tipped off the cops, because he is one of them. But before you get to that, Michael Madsen's never better as Mr. Blonde, that unforgettable scene in which he's dancing to Stuck in the Middle with You and then hacks off a cop's ear, who they took as hostage, the way he's pouring the 
the gasoline everywhere. He's just, he's literally a monster. He's a sociopath who's enjoying torturing this police officer, and Tarantino shows him in all his glory. Other performances, again, Buscemi really stands out, and as you no doubt listen to the Tim Roth interview. He said, I thought Steve was so great meeting Steve Buscemi. But Roth is equally brilliant. Because again, as he said to us on Cinephile recently, it's just layer upon layer of bullshit. You know what I mean? Like I'm playing this guy who's not what he is, but he's trying to guy who he is. And there's been lots of great movies over the years about undercover cops. But I thought Tim Roth did such a superb job of it. Uh, the scene where Chris Penn is driving and he's just, you know, there's so many scenes in the movie which don't feel like they're about plot, they're more about character, but they're so entertaining and so funny, they actually reveal character just by the rhythm of their dialogue, and that is really a constant refrain here. When Lawrence Turney is Joe, is explaining why Buscemi is Mr. Pink, that whole scene is funny, right? Why can't, why don't I be Mr. Pink? Why can't I be Mr. White? You know, Mr. White's a cool sounding name. I'll be Mr. Purple. You're not Mr. Purple, you're Mr. Pink. Um, and Tierney himself, by the way, is a former convict, so he does really give the film a certain amount of gravitas. But that Chris Penn story he tells, he's talking about this woman who's a real ball breaker, and she's so upset with this guy who's cheating on her. So once she, she just, she, she puts crazy loot to his dick and glues it snut. And Kaitel's reaction is, was he all pissed off? He's like, was he all pissed off? He's like, how would you feel if every time you did a piss, you had to do a freaking handstand? And like, they all just start <laughs> erupting in laughter. Uh, the dialogue is so well written by Tarantino, and like I said, it signals his awareness. The movie towards the end, again, it's tough to not look at Chris Penn and think of Sean Penn. He looks so much like his brother. He's also got one scene there with Michael Madsen in which he, he keeps saying that Madsen's trying to s- s- sleep with him. He's like, you know, you've been pumped full of all this black semen while you're in prison. Like this, There's definitely some racial moments that are a little bit cringeworthy when you watch it 30 years now. Definitely lots of... Um, you know, homophobic comments, these guys of that era, certainly gangsters and from 30 years ago. It's a little bit dated, I will say, when you watch it now. But the ending, that great final standoff, the way Chris Penn starts screaming, you take that cut away from my dad! Uh, it really is an unforgettable movie, and I think it holds up awfully, awfully well. So, Chris Penn, Dan Lebitard look-alike, by the way. Just yeah, that's, that's not a bad call, but... <laughs> Now that I really look at it, that is pretty funny. I just, when you mentioned Dan and lookalikes, I mean, the fact that he was dressed as the Joker, I mean, and your dad, I mean, that just as an aside. I mean, these get-ups recently have just been unbelievable. What was oh, you? Dan was Indiana Jones and the Joker. I remember as the Joker is the image I have right now in my head, but who was your Walter dad? Walter Mercado. Dressed? Walter Mercado, my dad was. That's he was supposed was. to be Walter Mercado. Yeah, I was like, who the hell is Greg Cody right now? It was like a terrible Walter Mercado. Yeah, now that we got sidetracked, but go look up, by the way, Chris Cody's father, Greg Cody, as Walter Mercado, and Dan Levitard as the Joker, and Chris Ben, R.I.P., definitely a Dan Levitard doppelganger. Great movie and great performances. Harvey Keitel, Michael Madsen, Steve Buscemi, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Lawrence Tierney, a little film called Reservoir Dogs, which really announced the arrival of the talent of Quentin Tarantino. 30th anniversary this year of Reservoir Dogs. I'm giving that four Maple Leafs. I'm giving Summer of Soul three and a half Maple Leafs. Now it's time for our special guests. One more thought, though, Cody. Go ahead. You're going to jump in. Steve Buscemi, did you see his commercial at the Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, thank you. And what you was your me. quick yes, was thought great. on the Super Bowl? Seeing what him as your... a bartender, like, that was awesome. Yeah. Buscemi, just, yeah. he, again, it's a remarkable career because in Fargo, they get so much mileage out of the joke, which was four years after Reservoir Dogs, when Frances McDormand's interviewing the hookers, she's like, what does he look like? They're like, eh, he's just funny looking. She's like, what do you mean? Eh, just funny looking. And, like, that is exactly how, if you, if you met Steve Buscemi, what does he look like? Eh, he's kind of funny looking. And, like, yeah. This is why I love guys like this, because you could never look at them and go, that guy's going to be an actor. If Chris and I yeah. went to high school with Steve Buscemi, like, like he's a good dude. He's an actor in drama class. Like, that guy's not going to be a movie star. He's not going to make money out of this. He's not going to be yeah. a Super Bowl commercial one day. Oh, he's nuts. Like, you have to look like Brad Pitt and Robert Redford and Tom Cruise. Like, that's what it is. But no, Steve Buscemi, uh, 
Guy's awesome. He turned me down for a selfie at the Many States of Newark, but a great guy. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and he's, but he's a great guy. He's a great filmmaker. He's a Super Bowl commercials. It's all about branding. We have to know what your brand yeah. is. Steve Buscemi's like, okay, I'm 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 a weird looking guy, but I'm really smart. And I'm talented. And I'm just going to do lots of different things. I'll be in a Judd Apatow movie, The King of Staten Island. It's ridiculous. I love overall the. Overall, Super Bowl commercial is a little weak, though, this year. We can agree. Not great. I mean, listen, the best, of course, Sopranos. I was going nuts. I was able to see uh, Meadow Soprano there. Goosebumps. And, that was a Goosebumps oh, one. Jimmy Lynn Siegler. That shot of her getting is like the exact shot of Tony at the end when he like gets out of the car through the windshield, and it was like that same shot. Yeah, yeah. Goosebumps. Point, actually. Yeah, rather than yeah. going into his house, he's going there to Bar's yeah. Landing, which I believe is about an hour. I looked it up. That actual restaurant. It's called Bar's Landing. I think it's been an hour and 10 minutes from my house. So maybe if I'm bored was this there, summer, I want to go Was check there out. any part of like squeamish of like the capital? around Tony it's like we're just kind of like no, I know I, you guys I'm hug at the that. end there's like a little bit of it that's heartwarming and then there's part of it's like how much did they get paid to do that it just makes you realize like how everything is just steeped in nostalgia now like people were going berserk on social media saying it was the greatest halftime show ever and I get it like I'm 43 so that movie was coming out in my early 20s I loved it of course I've heard in the club and 8 Mile and yeah. Uh, next episode of California Love a thousand times. It was great. For you, you heard that music. You were like just about to get into high school. So like you know that music. Just as I know oh, that's music. my era. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you though. I, I think I, I thought it was a good halftime performance and I, I, I don't think it was the best ever, but I, I really enjoyed it. So it's like, I, it, yeah, yeah it's, it's like you're not allowed to live in that space. It's like either crush it yeah. or say it's the best ever. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it because I know all those songs. A very popular artist, Barry J. Blige, still killing it. But I'm like, for, that was awesome. That was incredible. It was the best ever. I'm like, well, hang on a second. Maybe that's just parents tired of hearing, we don't need to talk about Bruno. And like, that's, they're just listening to the Encanto sound. Right. So they're like, oh my God, I finally get to go back. If I actually to think about it, I'm like, wait, Michael Jackson? Great, Prince, great. I mean, I Prince love Bruce. playing Purple Rain in the rain. Yeah, I mean, it was there's, epic. There's some pretty epic concerts, but hey, they did an awesome job. And you're right in the commercials, Sopranos. I mean, it definitely feels like again, it's all nostalgia. That music from the past. Why was that commercial so good for me? Oh, because I love the Sopranos, which was a show that ended 15 years ago. They're trading off of my nostalgia. It's just funny oh. though. Like, I mean, Seppenwall is so good. Previous guest here in Cinephile. Yeah, he was Mr. Sopranos. He wrote an immediate article for Rolling Stone. Seven takeaways from the commercial. One of which was Tony, of course, was always allergic to any sort of technology. And at one point he says, those cookies make me nervous on the phone. And here, Meadow's got GPS. I mean, it's electronic GPS. Yeah. Um, you know, in the original, I believe they had the, the 9-11 towers. And then in this one, you can see the Freedom Tower. Um, just the fact that, you know, Tony takes the ticket in the original. Here, she's got an easy pass. Like, it was yeah. amusing the way Seppenwall break it down. Even the fact, if you want to be a real conspiracy theorist, you would think Tony and Carmela got gunned down. But Meadow and AJ survived, and now they're up you know, driving their Chevrolet. Right? How are they still here? Yeah, they're just driving their <laughs> Chevrolet. Um, bars landing, and, and as Michael Lombardi said to me, "Thank God AJ didn't speak, because we don't want him talking." He just shows up, gives her a hug. That's enough. Do you? Oh, role, is he a troublemaker? Yeah. Is he a and, troublemaker? And, and Meadow still can't parallel park because you know she parks right where it's nice and easy. Doesn't want to parallel park. Easy, big spot for the Chevrolet. That's Meadow's spot. Great commercial though. Larry David was great. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into crypto. It's not my thing, but I did like seeing Larry. But again, he's just taking a check. He's just selling out Larry David, million dollars, being a crypto commercial. Yeah, sure, I don't care. That guy's already. Oh, I think it was more. I think it was more than a million. I read an article like that. Hey, he had like multiple 16-hour workdays. I can only imagine the bag that Larry David got for that because you know him. Oh. He's. I'm sure he gets offered a Super Bowl commercial every year. Yes. Like I'm telling you, I guarantee you that was the biggest payday of all. Like I'm trying to think of all the commercials. Like I bet you Larry David got the biggest payday. Okay, we got to figure out how to get an answer to this. Call, call maybe Levertard <laughs> knows Darren Ravel. Find out yeah. how much did Larry David get paid for the commercial because I would yeah. do. They, that guy gets offered a lot of stuff. 
And yeah. for him to say yes, like he's probably very discerning, very particular what he wants to do. Yeah. Okay, this was $12 million. I guess I have to say yes to that. This will yeah, yeah, get yeah. some buzz. Also, yeah. Mike Myers, able to see him back as Austin That one Powers. made me laugh. That one made me laugh. Again, nostalgia, trading back on the movie 20 years ago, but made me laugh was funny. Robbo didn't Paul say Rudd, though. Yeah. Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, fell a little flat for me. Yeah, I, was say, I love, love Paul one. Rudd, Rogen, Canadian. But it didn't yeah. it was particularly funny. It was just like, oh, yeah. Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd. Overall, commercials did not generate great reviews. Uh, that's a good aside there from Cody. I'm glad we discussed that as well. Uh, now it's time for our special guests here on Cinema. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A real pleasure to welcome in a couple of great guests, Emilio Rivera and Edward James Almost. Here, here to promote a fantastic new project. They're telling me about it right now. Mayans MC. Edward, tell me all about it. Sons of Anarchy spinoff, right? Yeah, but let, let, let Emilio tell you because he was on both programs. Let him tell you. Yeah, so we did uh, Sons of Anarchy for seven seasons, and uh, they said it worked out. So we uh, got our own spinoff. Uh, this is going to be our fourth season now. And um, it gets darker and darker every season, brother. You're going you're gonna to dig it, man. And we got, we got the legendary Eddie almost now here. So come on. You know, Emilio won't tell you, but uh, we're a lot better than Sons of Anarchy. If yeah. you love Sons of Anarchy, <laughs> we're better. No, I'm only kidding. Only kidding. All the Sons of Anarchy people just turn no, off no, the no, radio. No, 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 no. <laughs> phenomenal show, Sons of Anarchy. Phenomenal. But, uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. But, phenomenal. Uh, uh, this is, but every year we're getting darker and darker. But this year. Yeah. It's the only thing I will say, Edmund, that really, you really got to understand. If you love Sons of Anarchy, you will yeah. love. Mayans MC. But if you didn't see Sons of Anarchy, do not watch under any circumstances Mayans MC because it is way too dark. I mean, this thing is real. It deals with issues that are happening right now on the border. And I got to tell you, man, it's intense, really intense. Anything that's happening now, we, we, we're putting it on the show right now just to keep up with the times. And it's, uh, it's really heavy, man. Really heavy. Yeah, Emilio, what was it about the project that uh, enticed you to? Obviously, being a part of Sons of Anarchy, it's a national spinoff. But like Edward was saying, this is a more darker piece. What was it about the project that well, you know, spoke to you? I was the antagonist of Sons of Anarchy for seven seasons, brother. And uh, so this just, um, how could I say no, brother? You dig what I'm saying? It was fine. <laughs> we got our own show. And, uh, and you know, we, it's, it, for me, it was a blessing. It really was. And Edward, for you, how did you become attached to the project? Uh, Kurt Sutter gave me a call and asked me if I'd help him. And, uh, you know, I understood the, the darkness of it and the, the representation of Latinos on television. But I also understood that he was really going for a reality that had to be understood. And uh, so we went for it. And I, I said, yeah, I'll help you do this. Uh, you know, 
I, the only thing I told him was this. I said, listen, you got to understand one thing, Kurt, all right? I'm expensive. That's all I said. <laughs> and you know what happened? Check this out. So, so I got the call. Me and Kurt have a great report. We've gone, we go back many years. And he goes, hey, he goes, um, you know, uh, I got Eddie Omos. I go, I go, what? He goes, is that okay? And I go, I go, how did you get Eddie Omos? <laughs> I found out why. <laughs> Who is willing to pay? If you open up the checkbook, you can get any almost. That's the way it's done. Mayans MC. I want everyone to check it out. It's fantastic drama following the life of Easy Reyes, a newly patched member of the Mayans MC Charter on the California-Mexico border. It's on FX. Awesome. All right. I want to talk about some of your other projects. Listen, Stand and Deliver, one of my all-time favorites. When people ask you, what's, what's the best movie about teachers and education? What's better than Stand and Deliver? A negative times a negative equals a positive. Say it. Eddie, I saw it when I was nine years old. I still love that movie. Tell me about Stand and Deliver. You bring, you bring out one of the most unusual films uh, ever filmed in the United States of America. It has an accolade that I can't even believe. It's over 34 years ago that we put it out in 1987. Yeah. And uh, get a load of this. The accolade is that it's been seen more than any other single film in the United States of America done in the United States of America ever. And I said, how can that be? He goes, yeah, you guys be gone with the wind like around <laughs> 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, yeah no film is used in the right. classroom as much as Stand and Deliver ever. It, there's no movie that they use, you know, like every year the kids see it. So like for generations now, People have seen it, you know, and from the eighth grade, ninth grade, all the way up to through high school, and especially if you're taking math, boy, they, they put that movie on, and the kids love it. They've seen it two, three, four times. So I'm very honored, and and we did something that was amazing. Jaime Escalante was a brilliant, brilliant human being and a great teacher. Well, because of Eddie, I still do my nine timetables with my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nine perfect. times eight. What are they? Seventy-two. <laughs> you know, the the killer thing is that that was truly him. I mean, that was him. We caught lightning in a bottle. Man, that was did. it. You know what I mean? Movie, That's what, what, what that means is that we were able to emulate him and imitate him to such a high degree that it stopped being a... a, a uh, it was a documentation of the behavior that he did. And I got to yeah. tell you, I'm so grateful that I had a lot of years to prepare for that kind of a, of right. a responsibility. It was pretty intense. Oh, yeah. Based on a true story, inspiring story. And Emilio, I'm curious for you, where were you when you saw Stan and Deliver? The gangsters that were in the show, that was my lifestyle at the time. You dig what I'm saying? And there yeah. was the guy, and it was, it was kind of sad because um, I was that kid in school that it wasn't cool to carry a book. You dig what I'm right. saying? So I, I really related to Blue Diamonds Phillips, a character, when he said he gave it to him on the side on the download. You know, I wish somebody would have done that for me, you know, because I never got past <laughs> fractions, brother. You know what I'm talking about? You guys are doing calculus. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Eddie, how good are you at calculus right now? We open up a math book. You know, I got to tell you, this is what the difference was. And I wish I would have had someone like Kymie. When I got, after I did uh, Algebra 3-4 and I was going to go into trigonometry and then the calculus, my my uh, counselor in the 11th grade goes, hey, are you going to be a doctor? I, no, I don't think so. He goes, are you going to be like a, an engineer, an architect? I go, I don't think so. And he goes, okay, then you don't need any more math. You, you, you finished your qualifications to graduate. I said, oh, really? Instead of, you know, making me look forward and get even stronger in my right. understanding, he cut yeah. me off, man. I said, and that, and at the time, I thought it was great. Hey, man, I got another elective. I don't have to worry about math. I don't have to do 
trig and, and, and nothing else is, and then calculus, I don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a pendejada. That means, uh, what an idiot thing to do. I should, if I would, even if you try and you fail, you've won. And yeah. that's where it shows the difference where Mr. Escalante was, where he wanted his people to yes. succeed, brother, take it to another level. You know what I'm saying? It's just a great, it's a yeah. great story, man. Great story. Yeah. Question for both you guys about Latino representation right now in film, in storytelling. You see Lin-Manuel Miranda. He makes this great film called In the Heights. I thought it was a beautiful story about Washington Heights, specific neighborhood of the Bronx. But then the film was criticized. People said it's only about light-skinned Latinos. There's not enough representation of dark-skinned Latinos. West Side Story comes out. I think that film was well-received by people, but didn't do great at the box office. Even I though loved West Side Story. Story. I, lo- Tell I love me about, yeah, I loved it. I love both yeah. films. And, but you know what, brother? This goes back all our time in this business. You know, you always got somebody criticized about something. You know what? They wanted the role. They didn't get it. So they guys write about it. You dig what I'm saying? You know what? Just, you know what? There's yeah. enough work for all of us. But I've been saying this for 30 years. I've been in the business. And yeah. just give it time. Your time will come. You dig what I'm saying? But yeah. that we have to stop doing that. We got to support each other more instead of criticize each other. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. Same way. That, I mean, for me, In the Heights, for me, was a better film. It was a more original story. I loved West Side Story, the story and everything. Uh, but I got to tell you, the dance sequences in In the Heights were so original. I I was in shock. <laughs> it's a, this guy, you know, was just like incredible. And I got I to gotta thank them both. Both movies were very, very good. Uh, I, I, I voted for In the Heights rather than, but uh, West Side Story won. But I voted for In the Heights. You know, and the yeah. thing is, this goes all the way back when Eddie almost was doing uh, Selena, when they had J-Lo, J-Lo yes. cast as Selena. Who did a phenomenal job? You dig what I'm saying? But but but, but yet they criticize it again. It's like why? Because yeah. you know she, she, she. I didn't. Know, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know who Selena was until she passed away. I'll be honest with you. But to me, J Lo was Selena. You dig what I'm saying? That's all I knew. And she did a beautiful, it's a beautiful job. You know? Yeah, one yeah. of the best jobs that she's ever worked on in my life. Daddy, I need a J Lo story now. Tell me something from Selena. Uh, this she, whole audience wants a J Lo story. You know, she was so pure when we did that that film. In my lifetime, I got to tell you, it's the best performance she's ever given. And she should have been nominated and she should have won. It was so pure that that if you go back and see the movie, The Test of Time proves it. You go back and see all of her films. The one film that really stands the test of time is Selena. Now it's on the national you know, board of uh, films in, in the United States. So yeah, in the, the film registry. registry. So it's really good. I, I was telling you how much I love Stan and Deliver as a kid. My wife just told me, she goes, make sure you mention to Edward James Olmos, I loved American Me, but I saw it way too young as a kid. Oh, I was way too watch scarred now, by the prison scene. See, American <laughs> Me is one of my favorite movies. You're going to say, so you got to watch it now. It's a yeah. different kind of film. You know what I mean? I, I, it's like Mayans. I don't advise people to watch Mayans unless you're really understanding of the darkness that you're going to visit, the men- mental strain that you're going to take. Same thing with American Me. That movie was not made for everyone. That movie was made for a reason. And that movie has been used a lot also. I got to say, that film was used by... Ooh, so many kids, uh, they watch it over and over and over again, and they really get the message. No one walks out of that movie yeah. humming the theme song. I mean, <laughs> no one. Okay? No one wants to be part of Santana's uh, family. You know, it's like the Corleones when you saw, you know, The Godfather. You came out humming the theme song and wanted to be Mike Corleone. Yeah. You don't want to be in. No. <laughs> this this prison thing isn't cool. No. And when she's gone. <laughs> You're singing another song. Last one for you guys. Right now, we're talking on Zoom. You guys are wearing Rams jerseys. Eddie, you're a big Dodgers fan, too, right? You're going to love yeah, the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. No, we both are. Big, big, he's, big, 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 big. he's the biggest sports fan 
I have as a friend. Yeah. This man is a genius. Mm-hmm. He goes way back and understands the game with such purity. He's got he has great understanding of players and the commitment that they make. Ask him any question about any team. Oh, no, 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 only LA, only LA. <laughs> Oh, okay, do you want the once the lockout's over? Do you want the Dodgers to re-sign Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen? We were just talking about that right now. You know, yeah. I, I think they figured out Jansen. I think they figured it out because he only has a fastball high and low inside outside. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think he's still good for another one more time because he come, You know, when he's pumped up, he gets it done, man. You dig? He just blows it right by you. You dig? But uh, yeah, I think both players deserve the right to go out of there to retire on wearing the Dodger blue. Both yeah. Yeah. Right. Both guys have certainly been great Dodgers, no question. The World Series they, champion. Want, they should support them. They should say thank you to them by supporting them into the next NFL. I, I, I miss Seager, but I understand. Yeah, I, we, I miss Seager, man. We got a little Turner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and Turner's yeah. good, man. On but you know who the baddest dude, though, bro? I tell you, my favorite player from the Dodgers is Will, Will Smith. <laughs> you know why? You know, uh, he, he, reminds he, me of o, he reminds me of OP from the Andy Griffin show. You know what I'm talking about? Just low key, <laughs> nothing flashy, just does his job. You know what I mean? That's yeah. he does. You know, he's just a badass, bro. You know? Great catcher. Uh, 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 now we're going to start singing the theme song. Edward James almost Emilio Rivera. Both these guys are great. Make sure you check out Mayans MC, an awesome show. These guys are both awesome guys. Can't thank you enough for the time, fellas. Be well. Thank you, brother. Okay, thank you so much to both those guys. Before we close up shop here, in memoriam to the great Ivan Reitman, who uh, passed away on Saturday, and then the story came out on Sunday. I believe it was after the Super Bowl. I started seeing the headlines. Ivan Reitman passed away. Very, very sad. This guy is a comedy king. There's no question about it. He directed Ghostbusters, which is such an incredible movie. It's so famous and so funny and and just an amazing cast and so well put together. Uh, But also Meatballs and Stripes. And really very important is he produced Animal House, which is one of the great comedies of the 70s. Had so many great comedic stars. And obviously Jim Belushi, who was another bright, bright star who was... Unfortunately, led to his own demise with all the drug use and the rest of it. But, I mean, Animal House, the fact he produced it and then was able to direct something like Ghostbusters, that alone shows what a star he is. But Ivan Reitman, he also spawned a son in Jason Reitman, who's a talented director in his own right, made Up in the Air, which is a Dan Stanzik favorite, starring Anna Kendrick, who people think looks like Claire Atkins. Um, Anna Kendrick, also a Super Bowl commercial. So I think I, I want to say a few words about Ivan Reitman. Listen, underrated director, oftentimes in comedies, those directors don't get nearly as much love, and particularly producing. As Dustin Hoffman says in Wag the Dog, there's no Oscar for producing. The producers do a lot of work, too. We deserve an award as well. And for him to pass away, immediately I wanted to tweet Canadian, had to double check, grew up in Canada, moved to Canada when he was four years old, you know, obviously grew up in Canada his whole life, went to McMaster University, which is in Hamilton, where I've had friends go before, and then applied his trade in the Toronto comedy circles, but actually was an immigrant. So we'll, we'll claim him as a Canadian, even though he was not born there, but he, he lived his entire life in Canada. And uh, again, comedy legend, comedy genius. To think of the losses we've had recently, I mean, between him and Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, a tough stretcher. If you're a fan of comedy of that era, honestly, and if you haven't seen these films, that is one of the few... It's probably the only redeemable aspect when someone passes away. You go, you know what? I've never seen it. Let me go back and check it out. So if you somehow have never seen Ghostbusters, you don't know anything about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man or Ectoplasm or Egon, go check that out. And if you haven't seen Meatballs or Stripes, also both really funny, you know, John Candy, Bill Murray, his cast were always so good. And, of course, producing Animal House, which is a real classic. Another one he produced, uh, Howard Stern's Private Parts. Totally forgot about he, that, which, again, I, I, so I'm, I'm a big Howard Stern fan, and Howard Stern has been broken up about – 
him dying and saying how he was so lost with that film until Ivan got his hands on it and just turned it into this iconic movie. I mean, I love that movie. I don't know oh, how yeah. well no, it's... I think it's very funny. Yeah. I give it three, three and a half people. I just love yeah. Giamatti as pig vomit. I think he's... he's oh, yeah. He's just incredible. I mean, Giamatti's... But Ivan, apparently, apparently he made that, like, the film that it was. Like, he gives Ivan, like, almost all the credit for that. So that's another one. It's pretty cool. I'm going to go look that up. Howard Stern giving love to Ivan Reitman. You're right. Private Parts, a director and a filmmaker and a person who really impacted people, especially in the comedy world. Gone too soon. Our best uh, thoughts and our condolences to the Reitman family. Thank you, as always, for checking out Cinephile. Next week, as I mentioned, Stanley Nelson. He is the director of Attica, an Academy Award-nominated film. We'll have some new films down the pipe as well and some retrospectives as well. Good to have Cody back with us, back on this side of the coast. I review Reservoir Dogs next week He'll as well. He'll review Reservoir Dogs next week. Maybe I'll talk some Olympic winter movies uh, on Winter Gold. As Chris has seen the clips that I've been posting, we've been doing a winter movie of the day. So we're going to do cool runnings later this week. We've talked about Miracle. Downhill you Racer. An Olympic winter movie recap. How about that? Next time on Cinephile, I'll see you at the movies.